My friends, I would appreciate it if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, in preparation for the message. Every Saturday morning, we've been having a prayer time online from 9 a.m. till 12 noon, many times going past that. And uh, yesterday morning, as I, as I listened to Ernie Hall guide us through the prayer time, and those of you who look at our prayer list know that we have uh, many, many prayer requests, two pages full, and we, we pray through every single request. And as I was listening to Ernie yesterday guide us, and as I was listening to other people pray, there was just this uh, great upswell in my own heart, and I don't know how to describe it. There was just this great upswell of, of deep appreciation for all of these dear folk who gather together Saturday mornings to pray, to pray for the many requests you, many requests that online viewers send in to us. And I really want to say thank you to our prayer team on Saturday mornings. We are so grateful for your very, very important contribution to the ministry of this church through prayer. And I want to say also thank you to Ernie Hall as well, because he is the gentleman who takes our Sunday morning messages, whether it's my message or Pastor Lisa's, or the occasional visitor that we have, and uh, he prepares it in the half-hour format for the radio station. And so thank you, Ernie Hall, for your ministry in prayer and, and for our radio broadcast. And as I say that, I want to especially greet our radio listeners this morning, along with our online viewers and you, of course, who are here in the sanctuary. There are more and more of you coming out regularly Sunday mornings, and we praise God for that. Today, uh, I want to talk to you about two things that I wish you would not experience. In fact, they are two things that you would not want to experience. But the reality is, you are going through, we are all going through at least one of those experiences. I've been sharing with you on the theme of signs of Jesus' second coming. Signs of Jesus' second coming. And this is part four in this series. And the two things that ideally you don't want to experience and no one really wants to experience, the two things are famines and pestilences. That's what we're focusing on today. Reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. It says, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. 
they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of war, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Let us, let us pray for a moment. Why don't you just stand as we pray, please? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. And Lord, we just pray that as we, as we further study all that you said in this passage, I pray, O oh God, that you would grab a hold of all of our hearts and minds, grab a hold of our hearts and minds, O oh Lord, and help us to learn what you want us to learn. Help us to respond to and to act upon what you want us to act upon. And Lord, help us to persevere in faith through all that we are experiencing and will experience in the years to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. In the very first message from this portion of Scripture several weeks ago, in the first message, I shared with you basically what was the introduction to what Jesus was about to say. I shared with you the introduction and historical background as stated in Matthew 24, verses 1 to 3, which tells us that what Jesus said will happen will, in fact, happen. In those first three verses, Jesus said, the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. Most people would have said, this, this, this man is crazy, there's no way that's going to happen, but it did happen. Forty years later, 70 AD, Jerusalem was demolished, the temple was totally, totally destroyed. And if for some reason you missed that message, I want to encourage you sometime this week to go to the uh, Rosewood Church of the Nazarene website and listen to that message, which is essentially introduction to this series in it, I shared a lot of background information, a lot of historical information, but also practical application that can really be a help to you, all right? Then we went on in this series, and we talked about how many false messiahs or false Christs will arise and will deceive people. This is spoken of in verses 4 and 5. And I spent a whole message on that. And then we also talked about how there will be wars and threats of war, as stated in Matthew 24, verse 6, and the first part of 7. Now we, we come to the specific truth for today. And that is, Jesus said, there will be major famines. There will be major famines. In uh, Matthew 24, verse 7, in the middle section of the verse, it says, uh, there will be famines. There will be famines. Well, what is a famine? What is a famine? A famine as defined by the National Ge Geographic Society is this. A famine is 
a widespread condition in which many people in a country or region are unable to access adequate food supplies. Famines result in malnutrition, starvation, disease, and high death rates. That's from the National Geographic Society. In the Bible, in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, a prophet by the name of Agabus, A-G-A-B-U-S, predicted that a major famine was going to hit the entire Roman Empire of their day. And in fact, during the reign of Roman Emperor Claudius, Claudius from 41 to 54 AD, there were four times, four times when severe famines occurred in their world, in Rome, Palestine, and in Greece. The first century historian Josephus tells us that the famines were so bad, so bad in Jerusalem, that many people died for lack of food. Now, throughout the centuries, sadly, there have been many famines. Famines are often caused by different factors such as drought, sometimes excessive rainfall that kills the crops, as well as unfavorable weather conditions in general. On occasion, bad government decisions contribute to famines. Sometimes, as you know, famines are also caused by war. If you have watched the news reports about Russia's war on the Ukraine, you have heard that very sadly, very sadly, in some parts of Ukraine these days, 2022, the people are very hungry. Why? Because the store shelves are empty. They're empty. People have run out of food in their homes. Their houses or apartments have been bombed and they can't access what, whatever little food they had in their homes. Because of bombings and missiles and bridges being, being destroyed in the war, in some areas of U Ukraine, there is little or no food anywhere. And that's how wars can cause famines, can cause hunger, disaster. I thought I would look up the 10 deadliest famines, the 10 deadliest famines in, in history to try to learn a little bit more. I, I don't ever recall doing this before, and it was, very, um, it was very staggering, if I can put it that way. Quite frankly, I suppose I had not realized that there have been so, so many severe famines. Here, here we are. I'm going to start with the, the, the 10, 9 and then lead to the famine that caused the greatest damage and the greatest number of deaths. So, number 10 was the Irish potato famine of 1845 to 1852 in Ireland. That, in fact, was a period of time when a lot of Irish folks came across on the ships to Canada and the United States. There, there was a, a terrible bug that hit the famine crop in Ireland, in Ireland at that time, and uh, Ireland was primarily dependent upon potato growing, 
and, and it was just a, a terrible time. And they estimate that between one and a half to two million people died of starvation. Then the ninth deadliest famine was the one in Bengal province of British-controlled India. And that happened in 1943, 1943 to 1944, and there were somewhere between three to five million deaths. Then the eighth worst uh, famine was the Russian famine of 1921. That's only about 100 years ago, the Russian famine of 1921, and there were five million deaths. Uh, I believe we, ha we have a picture from that terrible time. We have a picture that you can see on the screen of some precious children that went through that very, very difficult time in Russia's history. And then the seventh deadliest famine happened in, in what's called the Great Bengal Famine of 1770 in India, where there were about 10 million deaths. 10 million people died from the famine. By the way, you know, this is called the Great Bengal Famine, the Great. Uh, personally, personally, I, I literally hate it when I see the word great behind terrible events like that, you know, uh, like even, it's called the Great Depression, the Great Depression, back some years ago when, when uh, it was a terrible, terrible time, but, um, you know, this word great is sometimes put behind events that were very major, large scale. Whenever I hear the word great, I'm thinking of something good, right? But anyway, this is how historians record uh, some events. So, then the sixth worst famine was what's called the Doji, D-O-J-I, Doji Berra Famine of 1789 to 1792 in India, and there were over 11 million deaths that were recorded. The fifth worst famine was the Chalisa, C-H-A-L-I-S-A, -S Chalisa famine in India of 1783 to 1784, and in that day and era, there were between 11 and 12 million deaths during that terrible, terrible time. And then the fourth worst famine was the Ukraine, Ukraine famine of 1932, really not that long ago, 1932, and there they estimate somewhere between three to 13 million famines, three to 13 million. Now some of you would say, well that's a big range, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is, but sometimes, given circumstances in a country and uh, record-keeping, it's very difficult to always know what the numbers are. Just, just as uh, in, in, the, in the present time, you know, in terms of Russia's war on, on the Ukraine, I'm sure you, you've heard that some, some people are saying there have been between seven and 20,000 uh, deaths of of um, soldiers from Russia, okay? Sometimes it's difficult to get the accurate numbers. But anyway, so the third worst famine, the third worst famine 
is the Northern Chinese Famine of 1876. And there were between 9.5 and 13 million, 9.5 to 13 million deaths at that point in time. And then the second worst famine was the famine of 1906 to 1907. Oh boy, there were 25 million, 25 million in the Chinese famine of uh, 1906 to 1907. I believe we have a picture there as well, uh, which initially when I saw it, I thought, I thought it was uh, an elderly man, but then Raven, after looking at a larger and large picture, said to me, uh, she was pretty sure it's actually a child, which is heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And then the, the first or the, Famine that caused the most deaths was what they call the Great Chinese Famine of 1959 to 1961, which obviously was not that long ago. And that resulted in over 55 million, 55 million deaths in China. That is, that is heart-wrenching, isn't it? That is, oh, it's terrible, terrible. And um, I don't know about you, but until I was preparing for this message, maybe it was just my lack of knowledge or what, but I, I, had, I did not know that famines had affected so many millions of people. I mean, yes, I knew to a certain extent, but... But when you think of 55 plus million people only um, 60 years ago in China dying from starvation um, in 1906, 1907, 25 million. Well, it's, um, it's just, just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Um, also, as I went through all the data, I realized, I realized that the dear people of China and India across these centuries have especially been hit the hardest by famines, by famines, right? Brother Pastor, you're so knowledgeable about everything. Did you know that these famines were that bad across the years? Wow, okay, that, that helps me feel better because uh, I thought... Boy, after all my years of reading and studying, I just didn't realize things have been this bad with famines across the years. If you are interested, if you're interested, uh, you can read up on the details of these 10 famines and more by going to the internet and looking under the top 10 worst famines in history by Larry Slauson, S-L-A-W-S-O-N. It was posted on January the 18th 2022. All right, most of the famines that I have referred to were caused by a combination of droughts, sometimes excessive rainfall, bad weather conditions, insects which destroyed crops, wars, and sometimes poor and bad government decisions which led to starvation. As we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, 
there will be more famines. That's what the Word of God tells us. There will be more famines. All right, just stick with me now, and I'm going to get to some things that are especially pertinent, uh, applicable to you, okay, and me. You and I might not have much control over global famines, but what are some things that you and I can do to help, to help prevent hunger? Are there some things you and I can do? We always have to bring things down to, okay, here's the information, here's the biblical truth. Are there some things that you and I can act upon? Here are some suggestions. I'm sure you can add to this list of suggestions, okay? All right? So first of all, number one, don't waste food, okay? Prevent hunger. Don't waste food. Recently, in a local newspaper, I, I saw this uh, ad which says, wasted food costs the average household more than $1,100 per year. Buy it, eat it, don't waste it. Do, do you see the ad on the screen? Yes? Uh, I, I cut it out, quite frankly, from the newspaper. I cut it out uh, and put it in my Bible, really not knowing that I would ever use it. I thought, uh, I, I don't know that I would ever use this information, but, but as I was preparing this message, I thought, yeah, this is very relevant right here. And uh, quite frankly, let me ask you, were you sh are you shocked? Put, put, that, uh, put, put that sign up again, would you? Are you shocked that According to whoever did the research, more than $1,100 a year of food is actually wasted. Put your hand up. Can you put your hand up? Are any of you surprised about this? You're not surprised. In other words, you're wasting $2,000 a year. Is that, is that what you're doing? Wow, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I thought a lot of hands would go up because when I read that, I thought, come on, come on. Who did the research? Must be off. But unfortunately, it seems to be on, okay? All right? <clears throat> that figure of $1,100 of food being wasted per year honestly shocked me. Now, I don't know how some research group came up with the figure of $1,100 of food being wasted, but if it is correct, if it is correct, and I get the feeling that some of you think it's probably higher, if it is correct, it is very sad. Now, over the years, now some of you don't get upset with me if this applies to you. I'm not talking, to, I'm not trying to pick on a person here, a person there, whatever. But over the years, I have discovered, to my surprise, that there are a lot of people, a lot of people who won't eat leftovers. I've hit on a nerve here, I think. Yeah? Viewers, radio listeners, there was some response there if you didn't hear it in the, in the recording, okay? But uh, I've discovered that there are a lot of people who won't eat leftovers. There are people who, after they have their dinner, if there's food left over, they throw it out because they refuse to have 
leftovers. Now, quite frankly, I believe that is wrong. If you don't want it, phone me up. I'll get, give it to me. Okay? Now, there is nothing wrong in eating leftovers for, for a day or two, or even three. In fact, in fact, stay with me now, in fact, there are actually some foods that taste better the day after or a, a couple days after they are first cooked. Well, nice to know you agree on some things. <laughs> okay. How many of you, how many of you have on occasion cooked something and found that it tasted better the next day or two days later? How, how many of you? Wow, the whole world. Well, part of the world anyway. Okay. All right. Viewers, a lot of hands went up. Online viewers, radio listeners. Now, by the way, the reason some leftovers taste better the next day or two is because according, according to the Institute of Food Technologists, okay, now listen, listen carefully because some of you have wondered, why does this food taste better one or two or three days later? Okay, according to the, the researchers, they say flavors can be enhanced overnight due to chemical reactions which continue to take place after cooking and produce more and are new flavor molecules in a variety of ingredients. Now, if you can memorize that, you can impress your friends. <laughs> okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. Angela, by the way, food, Greek food even tastes better a lot of times one or two days later, doesn't it? Yes, okay. So, my friends, don't waste food. Don't waste food. At the same time, listen up now, listen. At the same time, after you, refri you refrigerate a cooked meal, don't eat it if it has been in your fridge for more than about three days. If it's been in your fridge for more than about three days because it's possible that there has been too much bacterial growth which can make you sick. Sometimes people will eat food they've left in the fridge two or three weeks and then they tell me they got food poisoning. And when I inquire and ask how it happened, sometimes I have to say, you know what? I think, I think you, you ate your leftovers way too many days after you put them in the fridge, okay? All right? Um, one other thing I want to say here about not wasting food. Okay, are you listening? Some of you are going to get upset with me about this. Some of you will get upset. If you get, have some anger, talk to our associate minister, Pastor Lisa Otar, so she can cool you down. Okay, listen, listen. To all brides and grooms-to-be and to the parents, who often help or often pay the bill for wedding receptions, okay? All right? I have often talked, I have often talked with servers who work in um, reception halls, okay? People who work in reception halls where there are Weddings of 100 people, 200, 300, 500, 700, 800,000, whatever. 
And I've asked these dear workers, what, what, what is the hardest thing for them as a server in these banquet halls? And I, I used to think that they would say the hardest thing for them is carrying the big trays, or the hardest thing for them is uh, running back and forth, you know, trying to serve people with their coffee, tea, whatever they want. Uh, sometimes people can, can be a little difficult on servers. And some of these dear servers, when I've asked them what, what bothers them the most, what is the hardest, are you, are you listening for what they told me? They have told me that the toughest thing for them is to see how much food at these banquet halls is thrown away, is thrown away. And what they're talking about, what they're talking about is at a lot of, especially wedding banquets, there is so much food served that there's no way people can finish it, no way people can eat it. And, and, and a lot of the food is thrown away unnecessarily. And these dear servers say it just breaks their heart seeing so much food being thrown out. I mean, I can tell you stories about that myself because before COVID, I, I held so many weddings and, so were, and I was at so many wedding receptions, okay? Uh, I remember one wedding that I was at. This was a, at a relative's wedding a few years ago. One wedding that I was at, there was uh, course number one and course number two and course number three and course number four and course number five. By, by the time, by the time we got to the main course, by the time we got to the main course, they put it in front of me, and I'm not exaggerating, they put it in front of me, and I literally could not have a bite. And some of you know I have a big appetite. Right? Right, Olivia? Oh, yes. Okay? I mean, it was in front of me, and I could not have a single bite. And I, I said to the dear server, I said, I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but would you mind bringing me some kind of a box or bag so I can take it home with me? Because I just cannot eat anything more. And, and that dear lady, she surprised me. She said, she said, sir... I want to commend you for asking me for a box. I said, well, why is that? She said, because most of these meals now, this next course, which was the main meal, beautiful. She said, most of these meals are going to be thrown out because, because people are, are already fed up. They can't eat anymore. I said, I, I understand all too well. It's my problem. Okay. Now, I was grateful that, you know, that bride and groom and their parents, they were trying to provide a, a real feast, a, a real feast for everybody. But all I'm saying, my friends, it doesn't matter whose wedding it is. We are people, simple people, who can only eat so much, right? Okay. When we were planning my daughter's wedding and my son's wedding uh, a few years back, some years ago, I, I said, kids, in terms of the banquet, here's how it's going to be. You can have a salad, a main meal, and a dessert. And that's all you need. After that, you know, it gets to be too much food for people. To my surprise and to my joy, they agreed. It might have helped the fact that Cindy and I were paying the bill. 
but whatever. Anyway, um, so I'm not knocking anyone. I, you know, I'm happy for wedding couples to have lovely, lovely receptions. But all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, um, you can save yourself a lot of money, and of course, not be wasteful in terms of food. Am I making sense? Uh, can, can, you, can you show me that, that you're with me on this? Okay. All right. So once again, you know, I'm not trying to be harsh on anybody, but it's, it, it's just one of, one of the things we, we have to give attention to. Okay. So that was number one. Uh, some things that we can do. Don't waste food, okay? Don't, don't waste. All right. The second thing we can do in terms of helping prevent famines, or at least do our little part. Second thing we can do is buy people food who need it. Buy people food who need it. If you know of a person or, or family that is short of food, and you can afford it, and you can afford it, give them, give them $50, $100, $200, $300, or more, whatever they need, Okay? so that they can go and buy whatever food is necessary. If, if necessary, you might also say, you might also say, I'm happy for you to, to buy whatever food you need, so long as you, you don't spend the money, you don't spend the money on alcohol, you don't spend the money on cigarettes, and of course you don't spend the money on other recreational drugs. On occasion you might stipulate. Or if you prefer you, you might go with a person to their preferred supermarket and say, please, go ahead and get whatever groceries you need up to $200 or whatever, you know, the number of dollars it is, and just say, and I'm happy to pay for it at the cashier. I'll just wait for you. You can just go get whatever you want, okay? Here is a third way you can help. Number three, donate to our Rosewood Church Agape, the word agape is a Greek word for love, okay, the best word for love, by the way. Donate to our Rosewood Church Agape Fund over and above your regular tithe, okay? From our Agape Fund, we help people when they need to buy food and other necessities. Or oftentimes, we as a church, we will buy Food gift cards uh, from supermarkets like No Frills, Food Basics, Walmart, Metro, the basic uh, supermarkets in our area, to give to people to buy whatever food they need. All right? So I just want to say thank you. Thank you to some of you who buy $50, $100 food gift cards, and you, you give them to our church, and we in turn pass them along to people uh, who, who tell us that they need food. And usually it's folks from our community, from the immediate community here. Here's a fourth way that you and I can help. Fourth way. Donate to our Rosewood Church Ukraine Crisis Fund over and above our regular ties. We, we are sending funds through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries to our churches in war-torn Ukraine to help people with food and other basic necessities. All right, we've got Nazarene churches in the Ukraine, and they're in terrible condition, in great need, and I'm so glad that we and other churches here in Canada, United States, have been helping 
with funds that we've been raising. All right. Here's a fifth way, a fifth way we can help through crises. It is this. Drop off non-perishable food items at our church for the sharing place, which distributes food, or take the food to your local food bank. All right? Take the food to your local food bank. Number six, donate to agencies. Donate to agencies such as Nazarene Child Sponsorship. In the Church of the Nazarene, we have, a, we have an international program that, that sponsors children. Okay, You can sponsor a child what, month by month to, to help them with food, with clothing, and with, with schooling. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, give me a call and we'll, we'll hook you up and give you the details so you can become a part of the Nazarene Child Sponsorship Ministry. Also, you can, you can help by giving to Canadian Feed the Children. Canadian Feed the Children, which is a wonderful organization that helps children around the world. And we're grateful to have, as a part of our church family, a wonderful staff member from Feed the Children, Canadian Feed the Children. That is Jan Ong. Jan, why don't you stand? She is one of our soloists. Jan, just turn around there. Just, she, uh, she's a fantastic worker for Canadian Feed the Children. In a moment, we're going to show you a picture from Feed the Children. All right? Also, you can consider giving and helping, donating to help children and others in world, through World Vision. World Vision. Or you can help through the Red Cross or through other reputable agencies. Let, let's show that picture from the uh, Canadian Feed the Children. I think we have it there. All right, uh, I was grateful to get this from Jan Ong. Uh, just a group of children that Canadian Feed the Children support overseas amongst thousands of others. So Jan, I just really wanna say thank you to you and Canadian Feed the Children and, uh, and others who work together to help, to help with the hunger situation around the world, Jan. Thank you so very much for your work and your ministry. All right? Okay, so my friends, famines, famines, unfortunately have been a part of, of history. And the Bible tells us that as we get closer to the return of Jesus, Sadly, there will be even more famines. Now, let's move on. The Bible also tells us that there will be pestilences. Pestilences, or another word for it is plagues. Another word for it is epidemics or pandemics. Okay, now, the New Living Translation of the Bible in verse 7, if you've got the New Living Translation or the New International Version, for instance, it says, there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. It says there will be famines and earthquakes. Now stick with me, and you're going to figure out a mystery here. That verse 7 does not mention the word pestilence. Okay? It doesn't mention the word pestilence. If, if you read other more modern translations, such as the NIV... Once again, it doesn't mention pestilences. 
I looked. I looked at the original Greek Bible, the original Greek text, and also I noticed that the Greek Bible does not include the word pestilences in verse 7. However, however, if you are using a King James version of the Bible, you will see that Matthew chapter 24, verse 7 reads as follows. It says, there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. So the King James Version of the Bible was translated from the Greek and the Hebrew in 1611, over 400 years ago. Question. Why did the translators of the King James Version include pestilences, in verse 7, when it is not actually in the Greek text? I did, a, I did a study to try to answer that question, and here's the best answer that I could come up with. A Bible scholar by the name of Dr. Barnes says, quote, says that pestilences are commonly the attendant of famine and often produced by it. What this means is that in history, often when there was a famine, scarcity of food, there were pestilences. That is, there were plagues, diseases. Why? Why? Because when the people didn't have enough food to eat, they became malnourished, and their bodies were less able to fight off disease. Does that make sense to you? Of course. In the 1500s and early 1600s, people had often noticed that when there were famines, there were also pestilences. And I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you that when the King James Version Bible translators were translating verse 7, they possibly included the word pestilences because from their world experience of the 1500s and early 1600s, very often they observed that whenever there was a famine, there were thousands or millions of people getting very sick. Therefore, in 1611, the King James Version translators possibly felt that the best way to translate verse 7 from the Greek was not only to include the word famines, but to also add the word pestilences, even though pestilences are not in the Greek text. Does that make sense to you? I hope so. If you didn't get that, you can talk to me some other time and I can go through that once again. All right? By the way, the parallel, the parallel or comparable Bible verse in Luke, in Luke 21, verse 11, um, says, well, that verse actually includes, Luke 21, verse 11, includes pestilences in the list, pestilences or plagues. So Jesus said in verse 7, there will be famines and pestilences and historians tell us that there, that there was a raging pestilence in Babylonia in 40 AD. 40 AD. That was just a few years after Jesus was crucified. 
Babylonia used to be in the area of what's modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iraq. Historians also tell us there, there was another major pestilence in Italy in 66 AD. Well, there, there have been many pestilences or plagues or pandemics across the centuries. There have been a lot. Here are, here are the top five that have killed the most people, okay? This is a list. This is a list of the largest known pestilences or epidemics or pandemics, whatever you want to call them, caused by an infectious disease. Just so you know, widespread, non-communicable diseases such as heart disease and cancer are not included in this list, in case some of you were wondering. So here we are. The five pestilences which have killed the most people, starting with the one, the highest number. Number one has been the Black Death. The Bla they called it the Black Death caused by the bubonic plague. And this was shocking to me. 75 to 200 million people died in the years 1346 to 1353. Where? That was in Europe, Asia, and North Africa. And then the second highest number of fatalities because of pestilence was, number two, the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu caused by influenza, and there were somewhere between 17 to 100 million deaths that happened between 1918 and 1920. Uh, where did this happen? It was worldwide, and some of you would be thinking, what, uh, like 17 million to 100 million? Um, it, that's a wide range. Well, it was very difficult to keep accurate records because that was during World War I, during World War I, and it was really tough to, to get all the data as accurate as it could be. Okay, then the third worst pestilence was what they call the Plague of Justinian, also caused by the bubonic, B-U-B-O-N-I-C, the bubonic plague. And there they estimate 15 to 100 million people died in the years 541 to 549 AD. Uh, and this happened in North Africa, Europe, and West Asia. And then the fourth worst pestilence has been the HIV slash AIDS global epidemic caused, of course, by HIV, AIDS. And uh, the uh, researchers tell us that there have been 36.3 million people die from AIDS as of, uh, the, the figure is since this year, or last year, a couple years ago, 2020 rather, since uh, uh, the record is from 2020. And basically, the dates range from 1981 to to uh, 2020, and of course that figure is higher over the last couple of years. And then the fifth, the fifth worst pandemic has been COVID-19. COVID-19 pandemic, of course caused by COVID-19, and uh, so far, as of the end of March, there have been 6.2 million people die from COVID 
from 2019 to, to the end of March. And this, of course, has affected people worldwide. So you, you probably noticed that the Black Death and the plague of Justinian were both caused by the bubonic plague, B-U-B-O-N-I-C. The bubonic plague, I'm sure you've heard of it, but you've thought, what in the world is that? Well, the bubonic plague was caused by the bite, by the bite of an infected flea which carried and carries the bacteria. It's an infected flea which carries the bacteria. The best way to prevent getting the, getting the bubonic plague is to avoid the fleas that live, the fleas that live on rodents such as rats, mice, and believe it or not, squirrels, squirrels. The good news is nowadays, in most cases, <clears throat> the plague is curable with antibiotics. The challenge is to diagnose it properly. Some of you might be wondering why the Spanish flu, which killed millions of people just over 100 years ago, why was it called the Spanish flu? Well, it did not. It did not actually start in Spain, and no one really knows where it started. It was probably called the Spanish flu because Spain was one of the first countries to really talk about it very much and, and to study it. And, and so a false impression was created across the world as Spain being especially hard hit by the flu. That was during World War I, World War I. And few countries really wanted to talk about this flu, what, what came to be called as the Spanish flu, even though it did not start there. It's just that the, the Spanish people studied it hard and uh, tried to help the whole world with it to overcome it. Some of you might be wondering why the plague of Justinian was called that. Essentially, they called it the Justinian plague because he was the Roman emperor when the plague happened back in 541 to 549 AD. Emperor Justinian himself became sick with the plague but uh, was one of a very few people who actually survived it. One of a very few people that actually survived the plague. All right. My friends, obviously you and I haven't had, and we don't have a lot of control over plagues, but here's some suggestions for preventing and overcoming pestilences in terms of what you and I can do. All right, here we are. Number one, pray. Pray for protection of your family members and others. Those of you who join us for the prayer times, you, you, you maybe have noticed that very often, very often I pray for all of you who join us on that prayer line and for your families and others for protection from the current, the current pestilence of COVID-19. That's number one. Number two, okay, the second thing that you and I can do is, is practice good hygiene. Practice good hygiene, okay? What does that mean? Well, that, that, means, that means we wash our hands. That means after you're going to the bathroom, wash your hands. 
Wash your hands. You know, we've got four little grandkids. And uh, when, they're our, when they're at, uh, at our home, or even if I'm at their place, if they go to the bathroom, I will often say to them, did you wash your hands with soap, with water? Yes, Dad, though, yes. You know, so from these early childhood days, we're instilling in our grandkids the importance of washing their hands. Practice good hygiene uh, in, in all respects, you know, before you eat, before you eat your lunch or, or supper or what, what, whatever. Wash your hands. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Nick, this is basic stuff. Listen, I've learned over the years how few people do this basic stuff. Okay? All right? Practice good hygiene. Uh, number three, these are suggestions for preventing and overcoming pestilences. Number three, keep your home free. Keep your home free of mice, rats, and other rodents. Now, in some ways... Oh, I mean, this needs to be said, but, you know, at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if ever you've seen mice, they can be so cute. I know some of you ladies are thinking you're kidding me. Well, I know. It's okay. All right? Like, keep your, your home free of mice, rats, and other rodents because they can be disease carriers. Number four, during mosquito season, wear bug spray. Wear bug spray. Listen, I've observed over the years that some of you think it's almost funny to be bitten by a lot of mosquitoes. It's actually no joke. No joke. I, I've seen people who become very seriously ill because of mosquito bites. Okay? Number five. Number five. Don't leave standing water around your home where mosquitoes can breathe. Just be aware of that. Number six. Number six. Instruct your children and youth to not share water bottles with other children or youth. Okay? Back when COVID-19 first started, I don't know for sure, but you would have heard of a lot of professional athletes getting COVID. Uh, okay, again, I say, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if part of the reason that happened is because um, during the games or during practices, they would just throw the water bottle to each other and share their water bottle, and if someone had COVID, it was passed on to someone else. Okay? Number, uh, number seven, number seven, Prevent yourself and your dog from getting Lyme disease. Lyme, L-Y-M-E, Lyme disease, okay? Some of you may know about this, some of you may not. When, when visiting parks or bush, don't, don't roll in the bush and don't let your dog or other pet roll in the bush. Why? Because there might be black-legged ticks, black-legged ticks which might be infected with a bacteria which causes Lyme disease. In fact, I did some research recently, and, and the, these ticks have spread. A lot, of them, a lot have spread from the south up into Ontario, into a lot of the parks, even in our backyards, okay? Bites from the ticks can transfer the bacteria to you or your pet and make you very sick. Lyme disease is very serious. Some of you who are listening here in the sanctuary or listening on the radio or online, some of you would say, oh, Pastor Nick, thank you for warning people about that, about Lyme disease. Number eight, number eight, eat balanced, healthy meals to provide your body nutrition, uh, to provide your body with nutrition to help fight off bacteria, uh, viruses, and other illnesses, right? And number nine, 
stay physically fit by going for walks and exercising. That helps all of us. And number 10, in the event of a pandemic, follow, follow the guidance of the health department and scientists. Follow the guidance. During our COVID-19 pandemic, that has meant doing things such as wearing masks in public places, and I really wanna commend you, I wanna commend you for wearing the masks, keeping them above your nose, uh, over your mouth, underneath the chin, I commend you, all right, for doing so, for cooperating. Um, during the pandemic, obviously, we've been advised by the health department to get vaccinated, all right, vaccinated. Um, we've been told to stay two meters or six feet apart from each other and not shake hands and no hugs, no kisses, okay? It has also meant washing our hands more often than we have ever done so in our lives. In pandemics, my friends, in pandemics, we need to follow the guidance of our health department and scientists, and we need to cooperate with our government officials who are trying hard to lead us out of a pandemic. That's what it boils down to. They're trying to be helpful. All right, so here are some signs that lead up to the second coming of Jesus, according to the scripture. Here are some of the ones we've talked about. There will be more and more false Christs. There will be more and more wars. Sadly, there will be more and more famines. Fourthly, there will be more and more pestilences or plagues or pandemics. Now, I understand that you and I only have a limited amount of control over the events that we have spoken of. I understand that. However, let us, let us be very careful not to be misled by false Christs. Let us do our best to help and to be a blessing to our families and to other people through events, helping through events such as wars and famines and pestilences. In Galatians 6 verse 9, it says this, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. My friends, whatever happens, may you and I remain faithful to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Question, are you trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If your answer is yes, that's great. But if your answer is no, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me sincerely. Let us pray. This prayer expresses your heart's desire. Would you pray? Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. Today, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe I can be forgiven because Jesus, your son, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I receive your forgiveness by faith. I receive your spirit, and I thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you for giving me the privilege of becoming a son or daughter of, of God Almighty. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.